Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast, Throwback Thursday edition. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. Glad to have you back joining me one more time in Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. This is a Throwback Thursday episode that I used to do quite a bit of, but I kind of got away from that and dropped them all on Saturdays, which isn't a bad thing either. But there's a reason specifically that I'm doing a Throwback Thursday because this coming Sunday is 57 years since Super Bowl one, And to put this on Sunday or even Saturday would probably get lost in the shuffle online. So I'm doing it a few days in advance. And it's a good way to throw back 57 years to that first Super Bowl. And back then, of course, nobody knew that it would become the spectacle, for lack of a better term, than it is now. Uh, and so in a, just a few minutes, I'm going to pick up the old blower here and get a hold of my buddy Jerry Kramer, who is one of the last few remaining athletes that played in Super Bowl One and Super Bowl Two, whether that was against the Kansas City Chiefs in SB1 or the Oakland Raiders in SB2. The ranks of those Gridiron heroes have been diminished greatly over the years. He's uh, still kicking it at 87 years young. And I'll be talking with him in a few minutes about his memories of all that time of thing. But Super Bowl One is the only Super Bowl that never sold out. There were 32,000 empty seats. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The main one being is it was kind of just thrown together. You know, the, there was this merger of the AFL and the NFL, and they wanted to kind of see who was the top dog. And Lamar Hunt, the AFL, you know, had kind of had the idea for this thing. Uh, but even just three weeks before kickoff, nobody knew where they were going to have the game at. So finally, the L.A. Coliseum was chosen. So it was uh, a little different than it is today. The average ticket, 1967, when the game was played, was $12. And I know Jerry's going to be talking about the time where he, uh, at first Super Bowl, bought tickets for his family, as I recall. He got a big discount. They were only 10 bucks, And I don't think some of his family actually showed up. So these days, a ticket, last I heard, going for 10 grand. And even in the first time when they uh, broadcast this, it was on two different networks. Nobody really knew what to do with all this. There was a blackout in Los Angeles that meant 15 million people within a 75-mile radius of L.A. couldn't watch the game unless they had some makeshift aerial antenna out of coat hangers and broomsticks. Uh, in order to catch a signal from a television market. Uh, there were two second-half kickoffs because, as I mentioned, there's NBC and CBS were both broadcasting the game. So when the game resumed after halftime, the Packers kicked the ball off to the Chiefs, a play that half the country missed because NBC was still in a commercial break because a previous sideline interview with entertainer Bob Hope had run too long. That kind of pissed off Vince Lombardi. The refs whistled the play dead and told Green Bay to kick the ball off a second time. <laughs> From that time on, every Super Bowl has sold out. It is the second largest watched sporting event in the world, only to World Cup soccer. And with NFL Europe and all the rest of this stuff going on, it has infused itself into the bloodstream of, of America for sure. And so every time this game rolls around, I start thinking about Jerry Kramer uh, and a lot of those guys in that first Packer team. Uh, but Jerry in particular, we've been friends a very, very long time, decades and as I'm sitting here in the vaunted and highly respected and often sought after Aurora Media Production Studio, I'm looking across the room and there's under glass is a, is a Green Bay Packer helmet. And I've had it kind of uh, outfitted like a 
Kramer helmet would have been in the 1960s, right around Super Bowl. And to be clear, I'm a Bears fan, but I'm also a Kramer fan. I'm a football fan. I sure appreciate the effort that he put in. And, you know, the story of how we met, I'll, I'll really condense this, but when I was a kid and his book, uh, Instant Replay, came out, my dad got the book as a freebie when he bought a, a shaver up in Appleton, Wisconsin, where we were on vacation. And my dad was not as lenient in his uh, view of the Packers as I am, and he threw the book in the garbage, this little paperback. And I was and still am a voracious reader, and I couldn't believe my dad would throw a book in the garbage. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it was. All I know is there was a picture of this football guy on the cover. I'm, what, uh, 10 years old, 11 years old at the time? So I fished it out of the garbage, and on a three-hour drive from Appleton to Chicago, only takes two hours now, but back then my dad drove like 50 miles an hour, in his 1959 Impala, man, uh, I read that entire book, and it just got into me at the right time, at the right place. I'm sure glad my dad thrown it out. Otherwise, I might not have ever read it. And there was something about teamwork and discipline and, and all the things that go into building not only a championship football team, but of course, life as well. So that's kind of where all this started. And who knew that, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years later, that um, I'd be working on a project and get a chance to work with Kramer, who I always admired, but, you know, had never contacted before. And we became fast friends, and we've done a lot of projects together, a lot of different things here and there. We we put together this event a few years ago called Lessons from Lombardi, where we had Jerry on stage with all his props and football helmets and stuff, and and I was tossing questions to him, and he was hitting them out of the park, and it was a great it was a great event, and uh, we sure enjoyed doing it. And uh, then there's the off screen stuff, you know, all the dinners and the road trips, and oh my gosh, it goes on and on. But uh, this time of year, of course, he would be the guy that I would go to, and. Uh, thinking about that instant replay book and the impact that it made, he and Dick Schapp, uh, how it changed my life in so many different ways and millions of people around the world that read that book. To this day at 87, as I mentioned, um, he's as sharp as they come. You know, the machine's not working as good as it used to, but his he's right there. And the more I talk to him, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk once a month or so. You know, he always said, well, all right, kid, what are you working on now? You know, he was always grilling me on what's going on. And I have learned more and gleaned more lessons from life from Jerry Kramer than I think anybody else I've ever spent time with or worked with. And that's saying a lot because I've been with some incredible people, but there's something about his down home, down to earth, put your knuckles in the dirt, go get it mentality that vibrates with me and, and makes sense to me. And I think there's a lot of a lot of truth in that type of thing, whether you're doing it on the football field or in corporate America or your business, or your family, those are the type of things I think that endure. And he's always about that. So Without further delay, uh, I, in all fairness and honesty and uh, disclosure, uh, this was taped yesterday, this little bit of the show, and um, we'll, uh, we'll see what Mr. Kramer has to say about Super Bowl one and two, and we'll come back on the other side and finish it up. Johnny, thank you very much for having me on. It's a, kind of an exciting time. I'm anticipating the big game, looking forward to it. Had some wonderful times in it. So it's uh, near and dear. So we go back to the first Super Bowl. One of the things I know for sure that it actually wasn't called the Super Bowl yet because that had really not been invented. It was the first AFL-NFL World Championship game. It wasn't until a few years later that Lamar Hunt, who owned the Kansas City Chiefs, who were playing in the Super Bowl, coined the Super Bowl after recalling one of his favorite toys as a child, the Super Bowl. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. I thought it was one of Lamar's children, though, not Lamar. Ah, maybe. But, uh, it came from that camp. Yeah, I can't imagine Lamar Hunt playing with a Super Bowl, can you? 
just barely. <laughs> I can just barely see him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but go ahead. Go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say your, uh, you know, the buildup around this is just the tickets are ten grand a piece, Jer. I mean, come on. So they were twelve well, bucks they, back they, in the day. Hey, inflation. Inflation. <laughs> I bought I bought five tickets for the game for my nephews, nieces in California, and they didn't show. And uh, I'm getting to the point where I got to get dressed and get ready for a ball game, and I'm out by the gate waiting for them to show up, and they don't show, and they don't show. And I look over, and there are five or six kids playing in the dirt, killing time outside of the stadium. And I go, hey, you guys want to go to the ball game? <laughs> yeah. So I gave my five tickets, so it uh-huh. cost me 50 bucks. They were $10 <laughs> tickets, so it cost me 50 bucks to give the tickets away. But oh my gosh. the story has been worth it. And you know, the other really uh, big thing, kind of for me, the impactful thing was the uh, space cadets. We had these... Uh, I don't think they were astronauts, but they did have a backpack that yeah. uh, they flew around the inside of the stadium. They would fly <laughs> at like 50, 60, 100 feet, but they were going back and forth. And I thought that was the most exciting thing <laughs> I'd seen in a long time. So it was a big, big deal. Well, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And yet, even though it was a big deal, and football, and you, of course, part of those Lombardi Packers starting to come into its own, uh, it wasn't like um, it was a with a big deal yet to the masses. I mean, certainly not what it's become now. And giving tickets away is kind of indi- indicator of that. The fact that you had relatives that didn't even show up to the game kind of says, well, it's not that important. But obviously, <laughs> they were wrong. Yeah. Well, there were 10,000 other empty seats in the Coliseum that day. So it, uh, it, it, uh, took a lot of people, uh, by surprise, I mm-hmm. guess, to see the way it came along and developed and tickets today. Are, I mean, they're like 1500, 2000. Jerry, you can't, you, number? you can't get a ticket now at this late date for less than 10 grand. Now that's inflation. That's, that's what that's what I call inflation. Oh, Wish man. my salary would have inflated along with the, the ticket price. But yeah, you know, and, and looking at that real quick, you know, because I know that you know you've always told a story about. Can you tell the story about your bonus? Because I think people would appreciate uh, the bonuses that were had back in the '60s when you guys were playing, and what people are getting now. Yeah, I was in the college all-star game. And uh, kind of hanging out a little bit here and there. I went to a game in San Francisco, kind of drafted by Green Bay. And I kind of was uh, a little more into the pro football game. So I knew Green Bay was going to be down there. And I called them and told them I'd uh, probably come along and I'd like to uh, get a bonus. I wanted... I, uh, wanted uh, $8,000 and I wanted a $250 bonus. And uh, Vern Llewellyn, who was the general manager at the time, said, Jerry, we'll talk. So we get down to San Francisco. Wayne Walker was my my pal, my center on the football team and the teammate and the classmate. And so we were hanging out and uh, 
I went to see Vern and he wrote me a check for 250 and uh, we signed a contract and Wayne and I went out to party and have a good time and go yippee. <laughs> uh, it was pretty exciting, really. I mean, that's 8,000. Well, I didn't get the 8,000. I got the 500, but the promise of, I got 250. The promise of 8,000 was a big number for me. So I get back to Green Bay played the college all-star game and uh, drove up to Green Bay with one of the sponsors. And uh, I get my first check after a week and they're, they've held out $250. And I went to see the general manager and told him that he'd made a mistake, that uh, that uh, bonus shouldn't have been held out of my check. And he said, well, Jerry, that wasn't a bonus. That was an advance. <laughs> and uh, so we we have to collect our advances. And so I didn't have a hell of a lot to say. I had a lot to think about. But I, I played for $7,250 and a $250 advance. Jeez. So, wow. And then, then we get into a team that doesn't know where they're going, Johnny. We we were one ten and one, had the worst record in the history of the franchise, and it, it was a, a learning experience for me. I got to play quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, made the team, and we traded two guards to the New York Giants, uh, Al Berry and Joe Skabinski. Uh, both of them made the New York Giants football team. Hmm. Yeah, and so uh, that was kind of cool, except Ringo didn't think it was cool because he was pals with them, and this slop-headed kid from Idaho was coming in here (laughs) making noise and taking my buddy's spot, and we'll show him. Yeah, yeah. When when Lombardi came in, he installed you as, and Fuzzy, uh, was Fuzzy with you at that time? No, Fuzzy came with the coach. Oh, did he? Yeah. And uh, you can't. He, Coach Lombardi had a wonderful speaking voice, and you, <laughs> I'll never, never forget his presence on the stage. You know, we're all wondering, who is this guy? Did he play? Did he did he coach? What has he done? And uh, he says, "Gentlemen, there are three things important in your life: your God, your family, and the Green Bay Packers." And not necessarily in that order. <laughs> so we got, and he, uh, he said, there are trains and planes and buses leaving here every day. And some of you will be on them. <laughs> so he put the, put, the, put the voice to us right away. Mm-hmm. Let us know what he was expecting and what he wanted to do. And I've never been a loser and I'm not about to start now. Mm. So we, you know, we, well, you know, we, yeah. a lot of guys talk and a lot of guys make noise, but he can't be that bad. He can't be that tough. He was, yeah. he was that bad and that tough. And the calisthenics, the year before we would stick our arms out to the side and wiggle them in a circle and uh, wiggle your fingers and call that a calisthenic and then go play with Mr. Lombardi. 
we were gasping on the turf uh, before the calisthenics even <laughs> got close to ending. And then we would run around the goalposts three times, and it was a whole new deal, Johnny. Mm, it was mm. a whole new deal. Not long after Lombardi got there, of course, you guys went from the worst in the league to the best in the league, started racking up championships and like that. And, you know, whatever the idea was to put these, the AFL versus the NFL, because AFL was the fledgling league. They were upstart. And, you know, they had obviously some very good players over there, but they weren't the old guard, no pun intended. They weren't the National Football League NFC guys. And this this whole idea of of bringing the two together to have this this big game – what did you guys think when you know you're heading into this against the Kansas City Chiefs the first time about their players and about the concept and and you already won the championship you know you guys were already world champs but what about this new level of playing the game uh, in front of so many people uh, for so, such high stakes? Well, I'll give you a classic example. We were watching film Thursday evening. Uh, we'd watched a lot of film, but we were watching film in the evening, which was kind of unusual. And uh, the opposing team to the Kansas City Chiefs had the ball, and they threw a pass, and two of the Kansas City Chiefs defensive backs ran into one another and knocked each other down. They both went to the ground, right? And Max McGee, who was the resident wit on the Packer team said, hold it, run that back, run that back. <laughs> so they ran it back again. And, uh, Mac, Mac goes, doing Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies, right? <laughs> and uh, the whole place is laughing. I mean, we're giggling and carrying on. So, we didn't take them that seriously. We just assumed that it would be an exercise and we'd get, get it done with and go have us a beer and mm-hmm. enjoy ourselves. So uh, we got out there and there's a kid named Buck Buchanan who was about 6'10 oh, and about uh, 300 and change. And he played uh, on the tackle over Fuzzy. And I was uh, pulling on a play. It was a quick fold. I pulled to my left, I'm right guard, so I pulled to my left, and then I go between the, the guard and tackle on the left side of the line. That's Fuzzy and Skaronsky. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of curl around the corner and get the middle linebacker. Well, I went by Big Daddy, and Fuzzy was chugging at his waistline and not having much success about moving him. And Big Daddy reached out of a hand to me and got I had a single bar on my helmet so I could see better I guess but I decided I wanted a single bar mm-hmm. and Big Daddy's hand went went straight to my nose <laughs> and he uh, he buckled my knees he just whaled me in the nose I don't know if he broke it but my eyes were watering and I'm and I go straight to the equipment manager when we get back to green bay and tell him to put one of those big masks on yeah my, the big cage on my helmet i don't ever want to be seen with just a single bar again <laughs> but uh never had a fight they had a, a lot of real good ball players bobby bell uh curly culp uh, yep. 
a lot of the guys were pretty good players. And we were surprised by that because we had been brainwashed a little bit, I think, by the NFL kind of belittling their competition. Yeah. Which was uh, probably normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing an interview with Kenny Stabler, the late, great Kenny Stabler, who said when they played the Chiefs, he looked across the line and he saw Bobby Bell across from him playing middle linebacker. He said, but you have to understand, Bobby Bell was built like a Coke machine with a helmet. <laughs> a little intimidating. Was a pretty, yeah, a pretty yeah. good player. Another interesting thing about the the game was that the, two of the networks, one of them had a contract with the NFL, another had a contract with the AFL, mm-hmm. and neither one of them would give, so they both broadcast the game. Yeah. I don't know if you realize that, but that was kind of an odd situation. And uh, I was, you know, we're doing interviews and we're pretty casual and giggling and laughing and carrying on and whatnot. And uh, uh, Coach Lombardi was ahead of me doing an interview. And uh, when I got up to him, I put my, he was about ready to leave. And I put my arm on his shoulder and said, Coach, great job. And he was shaking like a leaf. Hmm. He was really nervous. And he, he was thinking about the audience and where this game was going. And I was thinking about the two guys across the line from me, I guess. But mm-hmm. he, was, he took it very seriously. You know, back to Max McGee. Uh, Max holds the, uh, the um, recognition of the first Super Bowl touchdown ever was to Max. But... From what I recall, especially from reading your books and conversations we've had over the years, Max uh, had spent the night out quite late the night before Super Bowl, wasn't exactly in playing form, and somehow got pressed into service. Max was a a very talented guy and a a very calm guy. And I remember having a uh, conversation with him one day, uh, uh, I I got pumped up for a game, I got angry, I, I, I pretended like the defensive tackle had murdered my wife, had burned my house, had killed my dog, had <laughs> shot my children, and that son of a gun was going to pay, right? So I got really emotional, really pumped up. And I was telling Max about it one day, and I said, you got to get, you know, you, you get got here like you're half asleep. You got to get involved. You got to, you know, get angry a little bit, and get emotions running. He says, can't play that way, Jerry. Can't play that way. Tried that. I can't do that. I got to be casual. I got to be, you know, yeah. playing games and having fun and enjoying it. So he did. And uh, he, he was effective his way. Mm-hmm. I was effective my way. And that's one of the reasons we were a great team is we, we all came to 1 o'clock Many different routes, but we all came <laughs> yeah. to one o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And Max apparently had a, a great night before the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl, and was uh, fighting off a hangover and uh, ended up catching the first touchdown of Super Bowl history. Yeah, and I think um, Bart told the story about he and somebody going out the front door about nine o'clock in the morning. I don't know where they were going, but somebody named Max was coming in the front door at nine o'clock in the morning. And so we all knew Max had spent the night on the town or somewhere, but 
is Sunset Strip. I mean, he couldn't yeah. help himself. He right. Couldn't. Right. And and he shouldn't. Right. He, yeah. I mean, that, that that helps him catch the ball. That's fine. Yeah. Thank yeah. You very much. Yeah. So you, you were going into the game, you know, a little bit not apprehensive, but maybe not taking it as as uh, serious as you guys should. And probably by halftime, you figured they're they're here to play too, and you had to maybe adjust a little bit, even though you won the game handily. Did you did you have any idea uh, after the victory of that first Super Bowl? And I'm sure for Lombardi, this was like, if we lose to the AFC, we shouldn't even be putting our helmets on. But it, it turned out right for the Packers. Did you ever think it'd become what it is now, all these decades later, that it would just become this incredible event, besides football ratcheting it up over the years, but this amazing event with the with the halftime shows? I don't know who the halftime, I think, was the was the USC marching band for you guys and Al Hurt, maybe the trumpeter. Uh, it's become this incredible worldwide spectacular. The the amount of money generated just from commercials is astronomical. None of that was in play, no pun intended, in Super Bowl one and two. I don't think anybody anticipated the growth of the game of professional football and the Super Bowls and the playoffs and the television coverage and how it was made for television. You know, it was a wonderful sport and a violent sport and the best athletes in the world, we like to say. Uh, so it was, it was a bit of a surprise. And then, you know, the salaries increased with the increase in the fans. Mm-hmm. And so the, the guys are making uh, more, they're making a game salary for us every every week you know right, we, right. we played 12 months for it they play one game but they they deserve it they're gonna yep. they're gonna say huh a lot when they uh leave the game hmm. they have a headache or a backache or some other problems but uh that's another time another place yeah no we, we didn't really uh you know, we wanted to beat kansas city because we got twenty five thousand. well i was going to say there's an incentive there <laughs> yeah it, it was like a whole salary i mean i yeah. think i was at that point i was getting 27 or 28 or something like that Jeez. i had a, a monster holdout about three years down the road when i went from uh, nine or ten to 18 or 19 and and uh, which was, you know, Coach Lombardi was making 35 yeah. his first five years. So uh, it was not a, a, a way to retire yeah. very comfortably. I remember you telling me about a job you took off season. I can't remember, was it like running a cat or something for trees or digging holes or what was it? I was running, making highway. That's it. I, had a, I was uh, worked for a company called Morrison Knudsen that was building the interstate highway. And I had worked for them uh, my senior year in college in the summertime before my senior year. I'd worked on them relocating a railroad track down in uh, Hell's Canyon. And Hell's Canyon was about 120 degrees. And that's why they call it Hell's Canyon. But uh, we put in about 20, 30 miles of railroad through the canyon, and they were a major construction company. So I, uh, I, got, I had a job with the road crew, and I drove a cat, or I drove a truck, or I did whatever I needed to do, whatever they wanted me to do. Had a baby and had a mama, and so 
needed to take care of them. So uh, that was uh, it was a good paying job. I uh, had a foreman that uh, didn't like football and didn't like me and didn't think I ought to be there. And so he put me on a jackhammer uh, on a truck driving fence posts for the first uh, <laughs> two weeks after I got back from Green Bay. So I'm riding on this platform on this truck and this jackhammer weighs 80, 90 pounds a night. And he won't spell me off either. He's, mm -hmm. he's supposed to spell a guy off every hour or two or something like that. I uh, had dinner in the bathtub. And I was so sore and so tired. I <laughs> hardly wasn't able to get out. And the next night I had it in the bathtub. And the third night I made it to the dinner table. But he was trying to run me off and... He was going to kill me before he run me off. Jeez. I was just not going to have any of that. So after a couple of weeks, he put me back with the uh, truck crew and I started driving either a water truck or running a cat. So I did that for two or three years, Johnny. I had a family and wanted to take care of them and had a responsibility. And uh, we would do a, 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 you know, an appearance. Mm -hmm. at, uh, at some of the schools or some of the uh, clubs in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, uh, and we'd get 25 bucks or 50 bucks Jeez. or sometimes 75. Uh, so the whole, whole game was at a much lower level and a much, it was a fun thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, winning the championship and getting the $25,000 bonus is a really fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, I imagine so. so. I can't imagine now, though, the thought of any NFL player taking an off-season job because they had to, basically. And you know, it's it's a it's there, there's a lot of sides to these coins that we flip when it comes to the to the Super Bowl and, and football in general, as a business and and as a game. And on one hand, you know, you you work your whole life to try and make it to the NFL. It is, I think, I read somewhere a stat that one out of 15,000 uh, athletes even get a chance to play in the National Football League. There's a lot of kids playing football. The odds of making it are astronomical. The career isn't very long. The average is about four and a half years for the career. Not everybody makes Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady money. So there is that piece of it. And then there's the opposite side, as you said, too. You know, if you can get into the game and you can make it work for you, it can last long after the game's over if you do it right. So there's this kind of this juxtaposition and the bigger the game's got, I think the more pressure on the athletes to be larger than life. And one of the conversations I've always enjoyed having with you over the years is that back in the day when you guys were playing, you made the same amount of money my dad did. So there was a connection mm. there that was very, very similar, right? It's like, well, this guy's not much different yeah. than my dad. But when you're starting to make, you know, astronomical millions of dollars to throw a pigskin, I, the connection kind of wanes a little bit for me. I think it kind of does too. I um, I, had, I had a wonderful career and a wonderful time, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it. It uh, except for that first game against Philly, where I got a concussion and lost a, a, a my head a head went quacko out there, and I mm. got pretty silly. But other than that, I uh, well I had a busted leg, and well I had a separated. Uh, uh, ribs and well, I had a chip in the vertebrae, and I had a couple of concussions, and then I had 
but it was fun, Johnny. <laughs> all, all that aside, it was a wonderful experience and a tremendous time, and I, I, I just loved it dearly. I had some wonderful teammates, a great coach. Uh, it just couldn't have been. Uh, I went to high school, and I, I, the coach that I had wanted me to play guard or tackle. And mm-hmm. my brother had been a running back. And so I wanted to be a fullback. And uh, we go to practice the first day and I talked to the coach and I said, I, I, I'd like to be a fullback. And he said, Jerry, uh, I think maybe you ought to be a, a lineman. We need a lineman. You can start a tackle if you want to start. If you want to sit on the bench, you can play fullback. So I thought about it quite a while, and I made a decision at a young age that really impacted my life when I said, well, I'd rather play than sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. And so I was listening to a guy who was probably smarter than I was, and I had an offensive line coach that was an older fella, uh, Wisdom, uh, really a brilliant human being, but He's looking at me one day, and I'm a sophomore, and mm-hmm. I am the, cl- the clumsiest sophomore, uh, <laughs> who are a bunch of clumsy guys, right? But I was the clumsiest guy that ever came along, and he came over to me one day in a practice and said, son, you got big feet, and you got big hands, and you're going to have a bit of a problem making them do what you want them to do. But one of these days, you're going to be a hell of a football player. And he turned and started to walk away. And he got about five or six feet away, and he turned and looked back at me, and he said, you can if you will. And I said, can what? If I will what? Finish the sentence. What are you talking about? And he just gave me a kind of a Mona Lisa smile and walked on to where he was going and let me think about it. And let's guess how long my career would have been if I'd have been a, a fullback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be running that, that cat digging roads for a long time, brother. <laughs> I have been a professional construction <laughs> worker is what I'd have been probably. Yeah. But you can if you will, Johnny, and, and it, you, you make choices in life. You, you either make the sacrifice and pay the price, or you don't. And sometimes you don't get in the right place, but the right attitude and the right time will change your life for you. Well, the uh, we're going to come back to that in a second because I want to follow up on that. But the next year, in 1968, you guys go to Super Bowl two. Now you're playing the Oakland Raiders. And that year, you guys had a, a, a record of 9-4-1. and one. The Raiders come in at 13-1. and one. That's pretty serious hardware. You guys beat them 33-14. to 14. What was it like going into Super Bowl II after the experience of Super Bowl I? Now you're going to face the Oakland Raiders with Ben Davidson and the crew. What was that like? It's a little more serious. We, we uh, really got a taste of the uh, AFL and Super Bowl I, and they had some really good athletes. So we had changed our whole attitude and our whole mind and our preparation 
for a, a good football team and not just a bunch of guys. So uh, we thought we always felt like we could win. You know, we would, I don't think ever went into a game that we didn't think we were going to win. And we generally paid the price to win emotionally, physically, whatever it happened to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had a, a, a tough game uh, against the Raiders and uh, had a, uh, a wonderful outcome. And uh, so we uh, later got to know Mr. Stram a little bit at a couple golf outings. And he was uh, still making excuses for uh, the loss in the Super Bowl two or three <laughs> years later. Yeah. So uh, I got to enjoy him a little bit too. He's a good guy. Mm. It was uh, the whole the whole journey was just uh, what a way to Coach Lombardi ended his career in Green Bay after Super Bowl two. He uh, went on to Washington, and I played one more year. It had a wonderful moment when I uh, finished my career. It was the last game in Green Bay in 58, 68, excuse me, 68. And uh, it's the fourth quarter, and we're down three points. And we have the ball. And we're moving across midfield, and we're going to score. We always have. We always will. Don't worry about it. We're going to score. We're going to win. Run another play, and we fumble. The opponent recovers, and I start walking off the field. I look up at the clock, and there's about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes left to go, and I say to myself, it's over. Hmm. It's over. We're not going to win. We're not going to go to the championship. We're not going to be in the playoffs. And I hear a smattering of applause coming from the stands. And I turned and I said, it's over. Don't you understand? It's over. We've lost. We're not going to be champions. And I walked back to the bench where I was sitting. And the people were standing up Hmm. and applauding and applauding. And pretty soon the whole stadium was roaring. And I said, oh, they understand. They know. They're saying thank you. Thank you for all the victories, for all the years. This may be the end of an era, but thank you. So hmm. That was my last game in Green Bay. Jerry, do you think that would happen today, the way the game has changed? I don't know if that's possible. If that sort of, look, the Packers didn't, welcome to Chicago. They had to, it's like playing down here. Uh, the Packers did not make it to the Super Bowl. When you get so used to winning and when you lose, I don't know if people know how to handle that anymore, Jer. Yeah, it was it was a unique situation, Johnny. And mm-hmm. that Green Bay is a u- unique situation. There was mm-hmm. only 50,000 people in Green Bay yeah. my first season there. You know, it got up to 100,000 later or so. But it was a small town. And people interacted with the players. If you went to a grocery store, um, people were going to say hello mm-hmm. or a good game last week, Jerry. Way to go! You went to have a drink. Let me have. Let me buy you guys a drink. So they they were much closer to the players and to the game, I think, than yeah. a big city. 
Yeah. 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 Let me circle back to a couple of things. First, uh, let me get this in because I think the last part's connected to something I need to have you repeat. But tomorrow in the Super Bowl is the first time in the history, 57 Super Bowls, that two black quarterbacks are playing, starting. And I know that this is important to you because this is work you've talked about over the years. Uh, back in the 1960s, there was only two teams in the NFL that had integrated uh, teammates that were in the same that were roommates. And the first was Piccolo and Sayers in the Bears, and the only other pair were you and Willie Davis. And over the years, you have spent a lot of time explaining how you felt about being in that situation, which to you guys probably wasn't that big a deal, but to the world, it was a big deal, you know? Yeah, that uh, was an interesting time. And uh, Willie Davis was an exceptional human being. Uh, he, We started our friendship on an interesting note. We were both in the Pro Bowl, or we had been selected for the Pro Bowl. We were playing in Los Angeles. And I'm heading for the shower. I got a towel around me, and I stop and talk to some of the guys. And Willie Davis walks by. And he said, uh, congratulations, Jerry. You made the Pro Bowl. Great job. Way to go. And I go, well, that's awful nice, isn't it? That's uh, I not, didn't have many guys say that or congratulate me. And I went on to the shower, and uh, Willie was in the shower. And I'm thinking about him and what he said. We had not spoken a lot up to that point. He was on the other side of the field from where I was. And so I said, Will, you had a hell of a season in yourself. I think you're going to be in the Pro Bowl. I think you're going to be all pro. You really think so, Jay? You really think so? I said, yeah, you've had a great year. You had a great season. So that was our first conversation. And later uh, in training camp, I, we were both of an age where we, were, we didn't have many more years. And so we were kind of looking for other opportunities to earn a living. And uh, I said, Willie, there's a new restaurant in town. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was a franchise. And I said, I, I'm kind of curious about it. There might be interesting to have a franchise. He said, well, Jay, let's go down and have lunch. And I said, great idea. Let's go. So we went to have lunch and we looked at the restaurant pretty with a small tooth comb or a magnifying glass, looked at it pretty carefully. And then we went back to the dorm and we were running. Willie was, had a major in uh, economics or business administration or some of the business schools. And uh, we went to my room and sat down and continued the conversation. And I had gotten word a couple of days before that my roommate, Don Chandler, who was their kicker, was not coming back. Don has, had retired and he was not coming back to camp. And so I was without a roommate. And so in the middle of the conversation or toward the end of it, I said, Will, why don't you room with me? Um, my roommate's gone and the bed's empty, so why don't you room with me? And it wasn't any discussion about it. It was just two guys who were pals and they'd been talking 
for two or three hours at, uh, about the restaurant and whatnot. And he said, well, Jay, I think that's a great idea. So he went and got his things and moved in. And we started the conversation and we uh, continued the conversation for many years. And it was a wonderful conversation and he was a wonderful human being. And I, I, I didn't have a problem with him being black. Uh, I uh, didn't know many black people and I judged people by their attitude and their intellect and how they performed and how they behaved and a variety of other things other than color. So uh, uh, we're uh, rooming together and we are traveling on the road rooming together. And uh, we're uh, in bed, the lights out. And uh, I say, uh, hey, Will. He said, Yajay. I said, you believe in black power? He says, no, Jay, I don't believe in black power. You believe in white power? No, Jay, I don't believe in white power. Hey, Will. Yeah, Jay, what the hell do you believe in? Green power, Jay, green power. <laughs> well, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? That kind of sums it up. So. As we were looking for another opportunity to play a game and enter a business and talk in some business. And he was bright and he was funny and he was intelligent and he was gifted and he was a wonderful human being. And so I didn't, I didn't see his color. I didn't see it. I just saw the guy who was a, a hell of a guy. Yeah. So speaking of uh, summing things up, this is what I wanted to circle back to. You talked before about that high school coach who um, had such an impact on you and you had to figure that you can if you will thing out for yourself. Um, I was so fortunate uh, to be at your Hall of Fame induction back in 2018. We went out uh, to Canton, Ohio to watch the spectacle. And, you know, knowing you all these years and knowing how many times that the vote did not go your way. And quite frankly, there was a few times I thought, it's never going to happen, but it did. And quite frankly, due in large part to Alicia, who, who rallied the troops around the world, literally, to get people to take notice of what your accomplishments were, how things had fallen short. And eventually that happened. We're in Canton, Ohio, and there's this little soiree you got going on beforehand. And I remember walking in and I see you surrounded with throngs of admirers and kind of like, you know, the king on his, on his throne there. It was so great. And it was it was great to see people just connecting with you that have been part of your journey. And then the second part was being in the stands uh, while you gave your Hall of Fame acceptance speech. And um, you finished your talk with acknowledging that first coach and, of course, all the, the, the things that have gone in between. But that Invictus thing, which I, I in all uh, honesty, you and I had a conversation earlier today before we had this one. And I asked you about Invictus and you just rolled right into it. And I, I, I don't know if it's the sound of your voice or whatever, but to me, I think when they wrote it, they were thinking about you, even though football wasn't invented at that point. And how you came through all the things you've come through, you've overcome some serious physical challenges to play the game. You've had some challenges off the field, of course, as well. But it really sums up a lot of what I think football's about, what you're about, what the game's about, what it means to be someone who's upright and breathing and, you know, making a difference in the world. So as we get ready to lock this down for today, can you share with us Invictus one more time, my friend? 
one of my favorite pieces of Johnny Hub. Out of the night that covers me, dark as a pit from pole to pole, I thank the Lord above for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. And under the bludgeonings of fate, my head is bloody, but unbowed. In this pale of gloom and tears looms but the shadow of the glade. And yet the passing of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. The thing I most appreciate about Kramer is not so much his exploits on the field. Those are well you know, marked and uh, cataloged and verified, but it's the thing most people don't see that makes me love this guy so much. And I'm just going to leave you with this one story that I tell people that showed me who this guy is when no one else is looking. So we're at this event in Upper Michigan, even before the Lessons from Lombardi thing was the Super Bowl of walleye fishing. ESPN was hosting it. It was a big deal. And up in Michigan, uh, in Little Bay de Noc, uh, on the shores of Escanaba and that area there, uh, Gladstone, Michigan, it's you can hammer walleye all day. It's the best eaten fish on the planet, in my humble opinion. So anyway, Kramer's up there, and you know I'm on the radio up there at the time, so this has got to be 20 years ago. And uh, we do this fishing show with this guy named Buck Lavasser, who I believe has passed away. And so anyway, we go out fishing, and we're doing all this kind of stuff and having a great time, and the next day we're going to go golfing. So in between there, I got a phone call from someone who was a listener of my radio show, and they asked if I thought it was possible that Jerry could stop by and see someone who was terminally ill. It was this woman's father. And, you know, I hate putting anybody in that position because the demands on his time and what we were there to do, you never know if that could be possible or not. So I didn't want to commit to anything. And I said, listen, I will, I will, I will mention it, but no promises. And she said, well, here's my address. Um, I will leave the garage door open just in case you guys come by. Okay, fine. So we go out and play golf and run maybe second, third hole. And I said, hey, Jerry, so here's what happened. This woman called, blah, 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 blah. I goes, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay. And that was it. Play golf the rest of the day. It was kind of rainy and cold out, as I remember. We played well, but not spectacular. And uh, we get just about to the end of the, of the day. And he says, now, now what was with, with this guy? I said, well, here's what's going on. You know, he's, he's, his days are numbered. And apparently the guy was in Lambeau Field when Jerry Kramer made the famous ice bowl block in 1960 sets against Dallas Cowboys, and they won the championship that year. Of course, everybody in Green Bay says they were at the ice bowl game, whether they were old enough or not. And, and he says, well, how far is it where this old boy lives? And I said, well, it's like four blocks. He goes, oh, hell, let's go over there. Okay. So we finish up what we're doing. We drive over to the house. The garage door is open, and we walk in. And there's these little four or five steps going up into the house. And as he's walking up in front of me, I'm looking underneath his left arm that's on the railing into the door as he opens it. And you can see into the living room, straight through the kitchen where this door was, into the living room, there's a man in a chair there, you know, with IVs in him and tubes and machines and stuff. And he's just sitting there looking dead, basically. Jerry slams the door open, comes walking in real loud. He goes, 
Any Packer fans in here? And the man turns, and I believe his wife was on the on the couch and his, his daughter was there too with big smiles on their faces. And the man slowly turns his head and sees Jerry Kramer standing in his kitchen. And the guy kind of shakes his head and he, he rises up out of his chair like Lazarus raising from the dead. And he bellows, hell of a block, Kramer. And that was the end of it. It was a free-for-all. It was a love fest. So next thing I know, Kramer's sitting next to the guy and he's hugging him. And pretty soon the neighborhood found out and their Packer fans are streaming in the doors and they're out on the lawn and chanting, Jerry, Jerry. It was unbelievable and surreal at the same time. We were there at least an hour. So we finish up. They finally let us go. We get in the truck. We drive back, go to dinner at a place called the Buck Inn. I'm not sure if they're still open, but the Buck Inn used to have the best ribs. So we're going for ribs. It was a, it was a Saturday night and uh, we get in the truck and I say, you know, that was... That was just something. And he says, what's the point of having all I've been given if I don't share it? And just that concept right there. Nobody, it was never the newspapers. I, I, I tell people this every now and again when, I, when they ask me about Jerry and our, our friendship. And I said, these are the things that I've seen. And that's just one example of many times where this has occurred over and over again. He goes far out of his way. And I think, as you heard in the interview there, the, our conversation, he he was, he's a lucky SOB. Had he not been chosen by the Packers, had he not done this, had he not done that, had Lombardi not shown up, he would be like one of the many disposable heroes in our lives that you never really hear from again. But he has, in my opinion, upheld the standards of Lombardi like nobody else that's left living on the Packers for sure. And since Lombardi was a guard and Lombardi was a right guard, Kramer's always felt a little bit more uh, diligent and put upon to carry on the legacy. So uh, any chance I get an opportunity to spend with Jerry, it's a good thing. I hope you enjoyed it. And my prediction for the Super Bowl, I'm not going to get into the numbers because, by the way, over $60 billion, not million, billion dollars is on the betting tables for the game on Sunday. I'll throw out a prediction because I think the Eagles are just as hard-nosed uh, NFC as it gets. And I think they're going to overcome the kind of the razzle dazzle stuff that Kansas city's got going. And I'm going to call it, um, 34, 30 Philadelphia. We'll see what happens until next time. Be well, safe travels. Keep the faith.